Ball's out. Picked up by the Vikings. Joseph. Can he win this long foot race? Linvald Joseph. No flags. Touchdown, Minnesota. Hello, hello, let's go. It's your man Flip Mozzie, and thank you for spending 15 minutes with me today. We are deep into the offseason, but the climb towards 2019 starts now. We ain't talking about the games, not the games, we talking about practice. This podcast is coming to you on Monday, the day before our Vikings begin their organized team activities. OTAs at the TCO will run for three days this week, Tuesday through Thursday, and then again for the same three days next week and the week after that. In total, there's 10 days of practice over the next three weeks, and we'll get to see and hear how this team looks with both veterans and rookies on the field. Even Kyle Rudolph will be there. So much to talk about Rudy, his role with the team, his contract, and how that relates to the Vikings cap situation. Minnesota restructured the guaranteed money in Eric Kendricks' five-year, $50 million contract he signed last April. This May, Eric converted $2.2 million of his 2019 salary into a bonus. That allowed the Vikings to open up $1.7 million only then could they sign the first-round pick, Garrett Bradbury. He got a four-year rookie deal, just short of $13 million total. Our Vikings now have all 12 2019 draft picks under contract. The Kendricks restructure at face puts a lot of focus on Rudolph, who hasn't budged from his $7 million deal. Truth is, Eric didn't lose any guaranteed money from his contract. And Rudy doesn't have any guaranteed money in his. So both players are really acting how you would expect. There is no secret to what Kyle Rudolph wants. He stated it several times. He wants to end his career in purple. He's seeking that extension that lets that happen. Some more guaranteed money down the line if he's going to be here for a few more years. All players crave that certainty. And he's not going to take a pay cut if it doesn't give him a more certain future. So if our Vikes want to open up some cap space, which they still need to do, they need to open up some more cushion, more than the $1.1 million they currently have, they'll need to extend Kyle Rudolph. And I think they will. How? Not too sure, but we've seen Rick Spielman and Rob Buzinski work enough cap magic to trust them. The team is committed to a style of play that requires multiple solid tight ends. Now with OTA starting up, the roster competition heats up, and a lot of depth spots are open. Wide receiver 3, 4, and 5. It's not a stretch to see one of the undrafted free agent receivers making the team if they perform in camp. Quarterback Jake Browning competes with Kyle Slaughter and Sean Mannion. He could easily make the roster. No one has any clue what the running back competition behind Dalvin Cook looks like. Mike Boone is there. Rock Thomas has a suspension, Alex Madison the new draft pick. On defense, they need another safety even after Marcus Epps. The defensive tackle competition has a lot of guys in the room. Shamar Steven, Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson, Armand Watts now too. Tito Adenigbo. 
The bottom line is all these guys have a very real shot at making the team as the Vikings roster gets more top-heavy. Minnesota made a decision to sign AAF products instead of veterans to take 12 draft picks and leave roster spots open. That's purposeful for a lot of reasons. First, it's out of necessity. As we talked about last podcast, Minnie has an expensive quarterback and really many other highly paid positions. With the salary cap, that drives a need to find cheap talent that can contribute. The depth chart won't look like past years where most of the day three picks get cut, where undrafted free agents lose on default, and it's just a few depth fillers. This year, I think we'll put unknown youngsters in relatively impactful roster spots. Second, everything we saw on the field and heard from Mike Zimmer implies his team got too comfortable last year. Not just Kirk Cousins and his $84 million, but Stephon Diggs, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, Trey Waynes, and Xavier Rhodes all made some nice cash last year, and they didn't show up enough when the going got tough. The 2018 Vikings didn't show the grit or determination to come back from deficits, to make big plays consistently, to swing momentum with a splash play. Nobody stepped up, and that could be because they were comfortable, not hungry. You break that culture in the summer by bringing in a ton of high-character fringe athletes, increasing the competition. Of the draft picks, only Bradbury and Smith are locks for a roster spot. Everyone else better show out in camp. And even veterans should be scared. Laquan Treadwell, he's in for a fight. Kentrell Brothers and Eric Wilson have to compete at linebacker. Holton Hill and Rock Thomas, no promises there. The list goes on and on. Amir Abdullah, Brett Jones, Rashad Hill. There is a wave of hungry athletes coming at this roster. Because things were too comfortable last year. So I think we can look forward to a competitive training camp, but also we gotta set some expectations, realistic expectations for these draft picks. The draft is a crapshoot that makes it very hard to know what the new men in purple will do in year one and beyond. Of course, that ambiguity also makes it incredibly easy to be unrealistic about these young men. That leads to rosy outlooks, which leads to disappointment when the games take place in the fall. So we're not going to do that. We're going to set up expectations in a way that results in long-term support rather than short-term knee-jerk reactions. Starting with Garrett Bradbury. Many scouts say Bradbury reminds them of a Jason Kelsey. That would be a dream. Kelsey started every game outside of an injured season back in his sophomore year. That's 110 starts, two Pro Bowls, two All-Pro Awards, and a Super Bowl ring for the eight-year veteran. That's rosy. We're looking for fair expectations today. The good news is that if Garrett plays like the average first-round interior offensive lineman, there is an 86% chance that he starts more than eight games in 2019. There's an 18% chance he'll make the Pro Bowl, a 9% chance he'll earn first-team All-Pro Award honors in year one. If you want to attach the stuff to names, I think Kyle Long for the Chicago Bears is a pretty good guy to reference, David DeCastro for Pittsburgh also should grab attention. DeCastro started just three games in his rookie year, but then he blossomed. In his next six years, he missed only three games, got four Pro Bowls, two All-Pros under his belt. 
So that says even if Bradbury underwhelms a bit in year one, we can be a bit patient. But there's no reason to project Bradbury to do that. These year one interior linemen started 13 games on average in their rookie years. Over half of them started all 16 games, so even if we don't see a Jason Kelsey or a Quentin Nelson or a Zach Martin type year, the bar is at 13 games started. Plug and play. And long term, I'd like Alex Mack, the six-time Pro Bowler, is another guy we'd love to realistically see Bradbury replicate. We should expect Garrett Bradbury to start day one at center and have a solid career if healthy. Naturally, because Irv Smith Jr. is a second-round pick, we need to tamper down our outlook accordingly. I think Irv Smith is the only 2019 draft pick that generates genuine excitement amongst Vikings fans. And he should. He's an exciting player. But it's going a bit too far, especially for year one. We've talked enough about Rudy. For now, just know if Kyle Rudolph is gone, there will, with a capital W, be a drop-off at tight end. And that's because rookie tight ends don't click immediately. 21 tight ends have been drafted over the last 11 years in the second round. Their average draft position was 45 compared to pick 50 where Minnesota got Irv Smith. They put up 24 catches for 277 yards, 3 touchdowns in year 1 on average. 11.7 yards per reception. That's pretty low. We expect Irv to be more efficient than Rudy for a lot of reasons but not more productive. Arif Hassan wrote a great article for The Athletic. He took the time to compare Irv's skill set to Aaron Hernandez. Before committing several crimes, Hernandez lined up at tight end, in the slot, as a fullback, and as a halfback routinely for the New England Patriots. A pass-catching H-back threat, he put up 45 catches, 560 yards in his rookie season, alongside Rob Gronkowski, who was also a rookie that year. In year two, that production grew to 79 catches for 910 yards. He almost doubled. That's the dream for Irv, but it shouldn't be expected right away. We can hope Smith makes a big splash in his rookie year, but it shouldn't be expected. Again, more likely if Rudolph does walk, Tyler Conklin, last year's rookie tight end, and David Morgan would need to be counted on to produce. David Morgan had 36 yards last year. This is about putting the youngster on a steady incline so that by year three, he's a legitimate threat. That development arc is true throughout the position for these draft picks. Zach Ertz, Jordan Reed, and Kobe Fleener are the best examples here. Guys who had below 300 yards in their rookie campaign before blossoming into over 700 yards as their opportunities increased. Meanwhile, tight ends who get that opportunity right away, they struggle. It's pretty optimistic, even for my purple blood, to project David Morgan to impact the all-important passing game. And John Carlson, our old friend, he's the only second-round tight end out of 21 to eclipse 600 yards in his rookie year. Hunter Henry didn't do it, Ertz didn't do it, Gronkowski didn't do it. And that's true for non-second-round tight ends too, like Eric Ebron, Vernon Davis, George Kittle, and Jordan Reed. Slow down on Irv Smith Jr. The dude is 20 years old. Let the development happen. 30 catches, 300 yards, and 3 tight ends. Should be that simple for Smith in year 1. Let's talk about Alexander Madison now. 
all we are saying is give him a chance. A freaking chance. It's an absolute disservice to hate a pick just because we haven't heard of a guy. The average draft analyst covers two to 300 players, and they do great work in doing so. It's a huge amount of effort. I'm very appreciative of the product they put out, the resources they provide pre- and most importantly, post-draft. But they are called draft guides, not draft laws. There are no draft laws. There's not a single draft strategy that applies to every team or every player, or every year in the NFL draft. Things like positional value and pick value are constantly changing, so to automatically criticize an unknown draft pick is a reflection of rigidity, of closed-minded thinking, of forced narratives that don't always apply. Alex Madison is a great example of that at pick 102. When you look at recent history, there's nothing wrong with drafting a third-round running back. The people who hated on first-round running backs last year and now hating on third-round running backs this year. It's part of this don't draft a running back at all, that bullshit narrative being shoved down our throats without any attachment to legitimacy. If Alex Madison wins the second running back job, going against Amir Abdullah and Mike Boone, he'll have a bigger impact than Irv Smith Jr. this year. I'll say it again, Alex Madison will have more production than Irv Smith Jr. in 2019. Average third-round running back starts four games in his rookie season. 111 attempts, 490 rushing yards, 190 receiving. That's almost 700 all-purpose yards in a complimentary role. Even when you remove the top tier, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, remove DeMarco Murray, get rid of Steve Slayton, the average is still 400 on the ground, 140 through the air. My comp for Alex Madison is James Conner. Connor was taken with pick 105 two years ago. He was drafted behind the all-purpose star running back Le'Veon Bell. Pre-draft, Connor drew pro comparisons to TJ Duckett. PFF said he combined good balance and vision with capable receiving skills. But they also said he showed a lack of speed, poor pass protection skills. They criticized him for playing behind the best offensive line in the nation. Lance Zerline didn't like his reactive quickness said he'd be a red zone specialist. We've heard all the same things about Madison. Madison ran a 4.6740 time at the Combine. Connor was slightly faster with a 4.65, but Madison put up two more bench reps. His vertical jump was 6 inches higher. His broad jump was 14 inches longer. Madison was a better athlete than James Connor at the Combine. And Connor now starts for the Pittsburgh Steelers after 1,600 all-purpose yards in his first two years. Is he the only example of third-round running back succeeding? Of course not. The 27 third-round running backs drafted since 2008 averaged 680 yards from scrimmage in year one. 130 touches, that's 8 per game, and 4.5 yards per attempt, which is nothing special, but still 10% higher than Latavius Murray's career average. If Alex Madison becomes an average third-round running back, just an average one, he'll be a fantastic second fiddle. An asset, not a restriction. Another weapon in the offensive arsenal, and he'll provide flexibility at the position going forward. The running back haters just don't make sense. They don't want to draft a running back high. They also don't want to pay a running back after his rookie deal. But that's a giant contradiction. You can't have both. If you don't invest in solid options behind Cook, then you're forced to pay him when the second contract comes a-begging. You can only avoid expensive running backs if you continually draft guys in the middle rounds. Alex Madison gives that and more.
we should expect Alex Madison to garner a significant percentage of snaps in year one and six to eight touches per game. We can hope for some long-term value, possibly even past Dalvin Cook's rookie deal. The precedent here is undeniable, from Terrence West to Royce Freeman to DeMarco Murray. We don't even need to compare Madison to David Johnson or Jamal Charles to see that he'll contribute as an RB2 more than Irv Smith would as a TE2. Get on board. So that's some expectations for the top three draft picks. The other nine, any year one impact would be much appreciated. Drew Samil looks like great value and he plays angry. I have a hundred things to be angry about at any given time. That's what he says, the stuff that fans love. Like we just got a real live version of the Hulk on our offensive line now. We'd love to see that show early. Same with Chris Boyd cornerback with a 90.1 running back grade in college at Texas, and people thought we were interested in Greedy Williams? <laughs> Not sure where Boyd features, if at all, but making good on that tackling prowess and special teams would be a great start, and that's representative of all the day three rookies. Biggest takeaways from the top three? Let's just start to look for good signs. The first good sign for Garrett Bradbury starting at center in training camp and never moving. For Irv Smith, just get him on the field for 15 to 20 snaps per game, hope for one to two targets. Alex Madison, 20 to 30 snaps per game and eight touches. That's it, y'all. I hope we can set these guys up properly and watch them grow from there in year one. These as a whole seem pretty conservative, and I bet most will disagree with how little we'll see from Smith and Samia, but hey, that's just what the data says. Next time, we'll start looking back at the schedule. Schedulees happen just before the draft, so we're going to revisit to start seeing just some general trends. Nothing too fancy because it's still the offseason. Thanks for listening, y'all, and Skull Vites.